Hello, and welcome back to the Weird on the Rocks podcast. This is a podcast that explores the weird, unusual, strange, and unexplained, all while getting our drink on. I'm your host, Katie. This episode is going to be quite different from episode one. Today, I'm going to be talking about the case of 13-year-old Jamie Kloss. This is a case that just recently happened, and details and information of the crime are actually still unfolding. I just read something about this. I'm sure a lot of you have already heard about this case because it had a big media following. It was all over the news for a while. Um, I'm hoping that in this episode, I can condense some of the information that's out there, as well as maybe bring up some of the lesser known facts about the case. So today's episode, I'm going to be telling the story as more of a narrative with a, a script, but I will also be interjecting with some of my own thoughts and opinions. Before we get started, I want to share this week's beverage of choice. Uh, last night here in Eureka, we actually had some snow, which is extremely rare. Um, we're only about 50 feet above sea level, so we just don't get snow here. We get slush and hail, but the last time I remember it snowing like this was when I was really little. I think three or four. It's actually one of my first memories. So in honor of this polar vortex that we're currently experiencing, I wanted to make a hot chocolate with Irish cream in it. I'm cheap and didn't want to spend the money on Bailey's, so I'm drinking a knockoff version called O'Connery's. And let me tell you, it is delicious and it's definitely hitting the spot on this cold day. Don't forget to check out the website at www.weirdontherocks.weebly.com. Weebly is spelled W-E-E-B-L-Y. And you can find photos related to today's episode. You can also reach me via email at weirdontherocks at yahoo with any questions or comments, or if you have any stories that you would like to submit. Um, if there's something you want me to cover, just let me know and I will gladly do it. All right, well, let's get into it. Cheers. And let's get weird. Jamie Kloss is a 13-year-old girl from Barron, Wisconsin, and is described by friends as sweet and quiet with strawberry blonde hair and green eyes. Jamie attended Riverside Middle School in Barron and lived with her parents James, 56, and Denise, 46. James and Denise were married in 2003 and both worked at the Genio Turkey Factory in Barron for almost 30 years together. James was reportedly a big Green Bay Packers fan and loved talking about sports, and Denise loved working in her garden and was described as very loving and compassionate. In the early hours of October 15, 2018, while the Kloss family was sleeping, an intruder entered their home. At 12.53 a.m., 911 call was placed from Denise Kloss's phone. The dispatcher said that she could hear no one speaking, but she could hear loud yelling in the background. When the dispatcher called back, she was only able to reach Denise's voicemail. Within five minutes, officers arrived at the home and found the front door was shot in and wide open. Both James and Denise were found dead in the home from gunshot wounds, and 13-year-old Jamie was missing. The family dog was still in the home, and from evidence found that I will later talk about, and from the loud disturbance in the 911 call, authorities believe that Jamie was present during the murders. The gun used to kill James and Denise was not found in the home. After talking to neighbors, several said they had heard two gunshots that morning, 
but didn't think anything of it because hunting is common in the area. This is one of the first things in this case that made me think, what? Because these people heard gunshots at one in the morning and just thought, oh, people are hunting. Even if it's an area where hunting's common, at one in the morning, I would definitely think that's very strange. It's pitch black outside. I, I just don't understand how not one of those people thought that was suspicious and called it in. An Amber Alert was immediately issued for Jamie, and a drone with an infrared camera was flown over the home and surrounding areas looking for her, but she was not found. The police had no initial suspects. Over the course of investigation, officials received over 2,000 tips, but the only one that was made public was from someone who said they saw Jamie at a gas station in Miami, Florida, right after her disappearance, which is 2,000 miles away from where she disappeared in Wisconsin. The individual said she saw her in the backseat of a black Ford Explorer with Wisconsin plates, accompanied by two bearded men. The witness said she did not appear to be restrained. Officials investigated this lead, but eventually said there was no truth to it. And I'm not exactly sure how they figured that out. I'm obviously not a police officer, but I'm guessing that maybe they just searched for that plate number and maybe no such plate exists. Or maybe they actually did track down people that drive this Ford Explorer and investigated them and that nothing came of it, but they didn't release a lot of information to the public. On October 22nd, Barron County Police announced that they had two cars of interest in the case. A 2008 to 2014 orange or red Dodge Challenger and either a 2006 or 2010 Ford Edge or 2004 to 2010 Acura MDX, both black in color. Two days later, a $25,000 reward was issued for information leading to the location of Jamie. On October 30th, the same day as James and Denise's funeral, a man was arrested for breaking into and burglarizing the Kloss family home. After extensive police questioning, this man was cleared of having any involvement in the murder of James and Denise or the disappearance of Jamie And they just assumed that he was a man that maybe heard about the case on the news and wanted to go and burgle the house and see what it was like, I guess. Um, I'm kind of wondering how this man even got into the house. I'm assuming at this point, so soon after the murders of James and Denise and Jamie still being gone, that this house would be a protected crime scene. And I assume that there would be a lot of police presence there just in case Jamie returned to the home. So I'm kind of wondering how this man even slipped in there, but they ruled him out as having anything to do with the case. For the next two months, authorities continued their search for Jamie. Multiple searches of Barron, Wisconsin and surrounding areas were conducted by community members. They did a couple of candlelight vigils in the community. And I know that during this case, I even kind of felt some suspicion on what had really happened. I originally thought that maybe Jamie had met someone, maybe an older man, and they ran off together and maybe they killed her parents to get away from them. It, it definitely wouldn't be the first time something like that had happened. It just seems so weird that she was gone pretty much without a trace. And I think that I'm definitely not the only person who, who thought this. I remember in the early days of this case, there was a lot of speculation online that she had just ran off and she had something to do with the murders of her parents. 
As the days went on, the probability of finding Jamie alive went down. Barron County announced they were cutting their investigative force in half from 200 to 100 people working on the case. On January 10th, 2019, Janine Nutter was out walking her dog when a young blonde girl approached her wearing no jacket or gloves in the freezing Wisconsin cold. Janine said she immediately recognized her even before the girl could say, I'm Jamie. Janine grabbed hold of her and walked to the nearest house where Kristen Kazinkas lived and pounded on the door. When Kristen answered, Janine yelled, this is Jamie Kloss. Call 911 right now. Janine and Jamie entered the home while Kristen's husband stood guard at the door with a gun in case the kidnapper had followed her. The women sat down on the couch, wrapped a blanket around Jamie, and called 911. Jamie told them that a man named Jake Patterson had killed her parents and kidnapped her. While this was happening, 21-year-old Jake Patterson was arriving back at his home after being out for a few hours and noticed footprints in the snow leading away from the house. He went inside and saw that the 13-year-old girl he had been holding captive under his bed for the last 87 days was gone. As authorities were driving away from the Kazinka's home with Jamie in the back, a red vehicle drove toward them, the only car they had seen on the road. Jamie wasn't sure if the car belonged to her abductor. Police ran the plates and saw that the Ford Taurus was registered to someone with the surname Patterson, matching the name of who Jamie said had kidnapped her. Police immediately pulled the man over, and he got out of the car with no struggle, saying, I know what this is about. I did it. So between what Peterson has admitted to and what Jamie has been able to recall herself, which I'm sure is horrific for her to talk about these details, but she has been pretty forthcoming with everything, the pieces of the story are beginning to be put together slowly. I'm now going to go through the timeline of what actually happened to Jamie. So on the morning of October 15th, Jamie woke up her parents after seeing a car pull into their driveway with no lights on. James went to the door to see who it was and said there was a man with a gun and told Denise and Jamie to hide in the bathroom. Jamie got in the bathtub with her mom protecting her, holding her in a bear hug when they heard a gunshot. That's when Denise called 911. Jake Patterson banged his body against the bathroom door close to 20 times before knocking it down and found Denise and Jamie in the tub with Denise's body over Jamie protecting her. Jamie said Patterson was dressed in all black with a face mask and gloves. He instructed Denise to put tape over Jamie's mouth. When she struggled to do so, he wrapped tape around Jamie's head, wrists, and ankles instead, so she was very tightly bound. He then picked up the shotgun and shot Denise once in the head, killing her instantly. Patterson then dragged Jamie out of the house and locked her in the trunk of his car. He was in the Kloss home for less than four minutes. Patterson admitted that he removed the dome light from his car as well as the trunk light as to not draw suspicion. He also admitted that he had already been to the home three times previously in attempts to take Jamie, but was scared away because there was too much activity, lights were on, or he could hear their dog barking. As he drove away from the home with Jamie in the trunk after killing both her parents, he actually had to pull over for emergency vehicles, which were responding to the Kloss family home because of the 911 call from Denise. Patterson admits that he shaved off all the hair on his body before committing the crime so that he wouldn't leave any hair at the crime scene. He wore gloves so there were no fingerprints, and he had even researched the most popular gun in Wisconsin, which was a 22. so that's the one he bought. That way, tracing the gun would be hard for officials. He also switched out the license plates on his Ford Taurus. Patterson then drove two hours away to his family's summer camp in rural Wisconsin, 
with Jamie in the trunk. And because it was a vacation spot, there weren't many people in the area at that time. He put Jamie under his twin-size bed that was against the wall in the corner. Jake Patterson put Jamie under his twin-size bed that was against the wall in the corner of his room. He blocked her under there with tubs and laundry hampers full of weights so that she was trapped under the bed against the wall. He made her stay under the bed for up to 12 hours a day at a time with no food or water. One time, Jamie tried to push the tubs and Patterson actually found her and hit her over the head with a small broom handle and told her to never try it again or he would kill her. Jake Patterson's dad would visit every Saturday, so Jake would shut the door to his bedroom and turn up the radio in there really loudly so that he couldn't hear Jamie screaming. At one point, I guess Patterson even had a small holiday party at his house, and he just told his friends not to go in his bedroom and again turned up the music. I guess no one thought this was weird. Patterson said that after the first two weeks of not being caught, he just assumed he was going to get away with the crime. One thing I think about a lot with this crime was what was Jake Patterson's plan with Jamie? He was obviously really smart and diligent about this whole crime and went into a lot of detail planning it. He wore the gloves. He shaved his hair. He'd been to her home multiple times. He researched what type of gun to get took the lights out of his car, switched the license plates, all these small details. So I'm wondering if maybe he was hoping to establish a romantic relationship with her, if he wanted her to be a subservient slave to him of some sort. Apparently there was no sexual assault that took place. So I'm curious as to if he had any type of long-term plan, where he saw this going, what his end game was so to speak, for this. During the time that Jake Patterson had Jamie captive, he apparently looked for a job because a few days prior to the kidnapping, he worked at a cheese factory but quit after only two days. He applied at a liquor store where he described himself as hardworking and said he spent a few years in the Marines when actually it was less than a month in 2015. The Marine Corps has verified this, stating it was indicative of the fact that the character of his service was incongruent with Marine Corps expectations and standards. So basically, he didn't really do anything wrong, but they didn't think that he was a good fit for the Marines, which is kind of fishy, obviously. On January 10th, Patterson told Jamie he was leaving for a few hours to run errands, and that's when Jamie planned her escape. Patterson detailed how he kidnapped Jamie, and why he chose her. He says that he had never met Jamie before and actually found her when she was getting off her school bus. He said he saw her and immediately thought, that's the girl I'm going to take, which is so creepy to me. Authorities have gone through both Jake and Jamie's phones and computers, trying to find any connection of the two to see if they're friends on social media or text messages, perhaps, but they definitely didn't know each other. There was zero communication between these two people, Jake targeting Jamie was completely random, which honestly to me is one of the creepiest parts of this story. He just saw her and had this feeling that he had to take her. So Jake Patterson is obviously mentally ill and displays sociopathic behavior. He meticulously prepared for this crime and did all his research. It seems like maybe he feels out of control in his own life. And so in his twisted mind, In order to exert some control, he felt like he needed to control another person, which is typical for people who pull off heinous crimes like this. Um, Children are easier to control and manipulate than adults, so 
perhaps that's why he chose a 13-year-old, or there could be something more to that. I'm sure we will find out in the future when Jake Patterson speaks out more about this. Since this has happened, it has also been made public that Jake's older brother is a convicted pedophile. So obviously something has happened within that family in order for both of them to be so sick. What are the chances that the only two children in a family both have um, extreme mental illnesses and exhibit such deviant, disgusting behavior? Former peers of Jake Patterson from high school described him as a loner and said he mostly kept to himself, which, again, is very typical for people who carry out these types of crimes. There's actually a really creepy picture I found online that was taken in one of his high school classrooms where all the students are standing together and smiling, and you can see Jake Patterson sitting at his desk in the background And he was the only student not posing for the photo and his head's down. And now looking back, the photo is very eerie. So there isn't much information about Jake Patterson's parents. His mother hasn't publicly spoken yet, but a close family friend says that she is distraught and it will take her a long time to move past this. On January 16th, Patrick Patterson, Jake's father, appeared at Jake's arraignment and said, All I care about right now is Jamie's family. I want to get them a note. He then apologized for not being able to elaborate on the situation, but said that he has a letter he will be giving Jamie's family. And I guess throughout the hearing, Patrick Patterson can be seen crying and hanging his head. I can't imagine what Jake Patterson's parents must be feeling to know that your child is capable of something so disgusting and violent. I'm sure they're embarrassed and ashamed and sad. I mean, obviously they, they love him. That's their child, but it'd be hard to stand by someone after they did something like this. In Barron County, Jake Patterson has officially been charged with four felonies, including kidnapping, burglary, and two counts of first degree intentional homicide. However, the Douglas County district attorney in Douglas County is where the cabin was located where Jake was keeping Jamie. They said there are no plans to file a criminal complaint against Jake Patterson in the immediate future. This is because they believe there is sufficient evidence in Barron County to already convict Patterson and sentence him to life. And that details of what happened in the cabin in Douglas County won't be revealed in court. And this is most likely to protect Jamie. There's already so much evidence against Jake Patterson that they don't necessarily need to let all the details become public. Because Jamie is young, and some of these details she probably doesn't want public. Patterson is currently awaiting trial and is set at $5 million bail, and there is no death penalty in Wisconsin, so chances are he will get life in prison without possibility of parole. On January 11, 2019, Barron County and Douglas County officials gave a public press conference discussing the details of the case. And I'm going to play a clip from that right now. Jamie is safe, and the family is requesting that you please respect their privacy at this extremely emotional time. Also, in a few minutes, you'll hear from Superintendent Diane Trembley on a message from the school. And please respect the respect of no media on school property today, please. This case remains a team effort from the beginning. And I'll never be able to thank all the agencies and businesses, individuals, 
that helped on this case with their singular focus to bring Jamie home. Yesterday, there was a lot of confusion with an erroneous social media post about 34.30 p.m. in Walworth County. This was an incident in Walworth County, but in no way had connection to this case as reported on Facebook. Shortly after I posted that Jamie was not involved in the Walworth County incident, um, my detectives were alerted. Uh, a 911 call was out, being given out in Douglas County, um, responding to a person claiming they had found Jamie. I'm now going to bring up Sheriff Tom Dahlbeck, the Douglas County Sheriff, and he'll address this part of the, uh, the incident. Sheriff? Thanks, Chris. My uh, agency received a 911 call about uh, 4.30 yesterday afternoon from the individual who was out walking her dog. Um, said she was approached by a young female claiming to be Jamie Kloss. Uh, this lady immediately went to a nearby house, notified uh, that neighbor of the uh, claim, and this neighbor called 911, and my deputies uh, responded uh, en masse immediately and identified Jamie as the uh, person that uh, approached the neighbor, took uh, control of her and possession of her, put her in uh, safekeeping, and a short time later, one of my patrol sergeants uh, happened to find a vehicle that matched the description that Jamie gave my deputies of the suspect and pulled the vehicle over and uh, took the suspect in custody at that time. Um, beyond that, uh, Jamie was taken to a local hospital up in the Duluth Superior area where she was uh, looked over and examined and she was held overnight for observation. and. Uh, the suspect was interviewed and subsequently brought back down here to Barron County. Uh, that's all I have right now. Thank you, Sheriff Dahlbeck, and thank you, deputies, for the work that they helped in this case. The suspect arrested, it was arrested, and is currently being held in the Barron County Jail. That suspect is Jake Thomas Patterson, P-A-T-T-E-R-S-O-N. He is 21 years old from Gordon, Wisconsin. He is currently being held on two counts of first-degree intentional homicide for the murder of Jamie's parents and one count of kidnapping. Barron County District Attorney Brian White will give a brief comment next. Thank you, for, <clears throat> thank you, Sheriff Fitzgerald. First of all, I want to thank everyone with law enforcement for the tremendous work that they did to bring Jamie home. That starts with Sheriff Fitzgerald and the Barron County Sheriff's Department. It includes the FBI, the Division of Criminal Investigation, and the hundreds of officers who came to Barron County to assist in this investigation. I saw firsthand how brave, determined, and dedicated these men and women are. It has truly been an honor to see the work that they have performed as public servants to this community. So a lot of people, myself included, are kind of upset with how they handled this press conference because they really seem to be patting themselves on the back for the work they did instead of praising the strength and braveness of Jamie, who is 13 years old. Everything was phrased, Jamie Kloss found instead of Jamie Kloss escaped. Um, of course, the police and the FBI and the whole community did a lot of hard work and 
a lot of manpower and time and money was put into finding Jamie. Obviously, these people were working to the bone to find her. But at the end of the day, Jamie saved herself. And it was her bravery that got her out of there. There's even one part in the clip where the district attorney says, I saw firsthand how brave, determined, and dedicated these men and women are. And he should have added that Jamie is also brave, determined, and dedicated. She got herself out of there. She saved herself. I listened to the entire press conference, which is 38 minutes, and they never once say any praise or admiration for Jamie and acknowledge that she did something really hard and really scary. And if she didn't do that, she'd probably still be there for who knows how long. On January 24th, Jenny O. Turkey, the factory where both of Jamie's parents had worked for almost 30 years, announced that they would be giving the $25,000 reward directly to Jamie. I'm hoping that this money can help her with her future and help her look ahead and look past this, knowing that things will get better. Maybe this could be put in a college account for her or for a first car in a couple years. As of right now, Jamie is in the care of her aunt and uncle. She is surrounded by a lot of love and support, and I'm hoping that they are allowing her to grieve and recover at her own pace and not trying to pry details from her. When people go through traumatic things like this, it's usually best to let them talk when they're ready and not to force it, especially someone so young. She obviously has a long road ahead of her and now also has to live with the memory of witnessing her parents' murders. But I hope that with her strong support system and adequate therapy that she's able to have a happy and normal life eventually. I can't even imagine the fear that she felt during those three months that she was captive. I mean, her parents were murdered in front of her and she was stuffed in a trunk for hours and then put under a bed where I'm sure every day she was just reliving those memories and, you know, fearful for the future. She had no idea how long she was going to be under there. She had no idea she was going to have the chance to escape. I just can't even imagine. It makes me so incredibly sad for her. I just want to hug her and I'm just hoping that she's able to get out of this situation without having detrimental psychological damage that will affect her the rest of her life. So Elizabeth Smart, who I'm sure all of you have heard of, she was abducted in 2002 for nine months, and she did a television interview where she gave some advice to Jamie. She said, First of all, I just want to tell her that I think she's a hero. She's incredible, amazing, so strong. I mean, wow, what a girl. And I want her to know that no matter what happens down the road, if anyone ever makes her feel guilty in any way, right now you think, wow, no one could ever do that. But as someone who has survived kidnapping, as someone who has spoken to countless survivors, I know that a lot of times a lot of survivors do deal with feelings of guilt. And a lot of times it comes from questions from others. So I would want her to know first and foremost that she did nothing wrong. She did absolutely everything right. She survived. That's amazing. And then I'd want her to know that as big as this feels right now, that it doesn't have to define her life. Yes, certainly it has changed her life and it will continue to affect her life, but it doesn't have to define her. She can choose who she wants to be and she can choose where life takes her because ultimately it's our choices that make us who we are. And I think that sentiment from Elizabeth Smart is 
I mean, just spot on. Obviously, I can't relate to what Jamie went through, but I think just that sentiment of looking forward and seeing that you can have a normal life. Elizabeth Smart is married and has children now and is, I think, the best example for Jamie for someone that can get through a horrible experience like this and kind of see life on the other side of it. Missing children's stories hardly ever have this kind of outcome and many children are never found or when they are found, they're found deceased. And I'm hoping that the story of Jamie gives hope to others out there who maybe have missing loved ones and it can give them that tiny strand of hope that maybe their loved one is still out there, that maybe they'll come home, maybe they're still alive. And I think this story kind of has a lot to say about the human spirit too. I think the strength that Jamie found in herself is amazing. And it goes to show that people that are in the worst situations possible can save themselves. So as cheesy as it sounds, I think this story gives a lot of people hope. And I think we need that in the world as much as possible. And I just want to end this on a note of recognizing, appreciating, and applauding Jamie Kloss on her strength and bravery. I can't imagine what she went through. And I'm so happy that I can tell a story that ended in kind of a a positive way. Her parents died, but she didn't. She's able to move on. And if one person can come out of that situation, that's amazing. Well, that's it for today's episode. And like I said, I'm happy to end this one on a little bit of a positive note. Please check out my website, www.weirdontherocks.weebly.com for some pictures relating to today's show. And if you have any questions or episode idea submissions, stories, anything, please email me at weirdontherocks at yahoo.com or check out the show's Instagram page at weirdontherocks. All right. Thanks for tuning in today. Cheers and stay weird. Jake Patterson.